Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we sit down with Till Fida, the head of Adblock Plus, to discuss how consumers want to block annoying advertising across the web, why his software isn't extorting media companies, and why publishers are making empty threats against ad blockers. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. I'm joined, as always, by Jack Marshall. I can say that now officially because it's our second episode, Jack. Week two. Week that two. As always, I think. Uh, we appreciate your, your feedback, your tweets, uh, snarky and otherwise, about how we're doing, and we hope you keep them coming. Jack had a good analogy that podcasts are a little bit like flight hours. You sort of need podcast minutes to get acclimated, and, and we're doing our best to do that. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we're really excited for this second episode of the podcast. Right, Jack? Yeah, uh, we're joined today by Till Fider, who is the CEO and I think I'm right in saying co-founder of a company called IO, uh, which um, makes a product called Adblock Plus, which is um, a small piece of software that you download and and plug in to your browser, be that Chrome or Internet Explorer, um, and essentially blocks advertising from appearing as you move around the Internet. Um, so, Till, I mean, may- maybe you can just give us a sense of what exactly that means. So, obviously, you block banner ads, you you block the annoying uh, or potentially annoying um, pre-roll video ads from from YouTube and stuff like that, um, and some sponsored content as well, right? Yeah, that's right. I think Adblock Plus is really a tool to empower users to regain control over their browsing experience. So you can configure it any way you want, and you can remove unwanted advertising, but you can also use it for different purposes. For example, you can use it to protect your privacy by blocking tracking scripts and so on. So people use it for for very different purposes. Um, But obviously, the most compelling feature is it just makes your browsing experience much more cleaner. Okay, um, so blocking advertising sounds like a nightmare for media companies. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm just kind of curious, you know, what, what's your uh, what's your relationship like with, with publishers? And you know, I, I mentioned YouTube there, for example. Um, you know, obviously these guys rely on advertising revenue to to support their businesses. No, I, I think the real nightmare is not ad blocking. The real nightmare is a business model that doesn't work, and we see that. Ads currently are kind of in a, in a bad place because they are providing less and less value for publishers. At the same time, they're becoming more and more aggressive, which is why people install an ad blocker. But in this, there's also a huge opportunity because those users, they can still be reached, but they have to be reached with alternative, less intrusive ad formats. So I think the consumers are speaking loudly that they are fed up with the current system, how online advertising works, and uh, they're seeking out better alternatives. So it it sounds maybe scary to some publishers at first, but I think there's also a huge opportunity in this to win consumers back and kind of uh, close the gap between what consumers are fine with and what currently is out there on the web. How do you guys justify your your business model? Because I think many publishers would say, yes, online advertising is, is crazy and there are it, you know, intrusive ads and, and things have sort of jumped the shark there. But you, know, you guys are taking a piece of the pie uh, by blocking. And, and I th- 
I think many publishers would say, you know, who who are these guys who have come into the ecosystem and inserted themselves in, and and what justifies uh, their ability to take a cut? Because you know, you do make money. This is not a completely altruistic endeavor. You you make money off of this. Yeah, we we do make money because we create value. And do, do you maybe just want to sort of explain exactly how you yeah. do make money, just for those who aren't sure? Who aren't we we run this program called Acceptable Ads, which basically means we're helping publishers to show alternative, less intrusive advertisements to people that have opted out of the traditional online ad experience by installing an ad blocker. So by partnering with us, publishers can generate very significant incremental revenues, which means our business model is based on the incremental revenues we're generating together with our partners. So if we generate incremental revenues, that's when we generate um, a revenue share for us as well. Um, so this this is the reason why we are successful, because our partners are making much more by partnering with us than they would without us. How, how, does, that, how does that work, though, when you say incremental revenue? Uh, how would you be adding to the revenue situation as opposed to taking away so what's what's really interesting is that the the current model um, is very unsustainable because we are dealing with an oversupply of ad inventory and the lack of scarcity really leads to an unsustainable monetization method based on the the eyeballs uh, that publishers are selling to to advertisers and this lack of scarcity leads to decreasing prices and publishers are kind of forced to allow more ads on their site, more aggressive ads on their site, and that further leads to more frustration of users with the online ad experience. So they engage less and less with the ads, the value decreases. So we're in a situation where ads are becoming more and more aggressive. At the same time, they become less and less valuable. And the publishers are telling us they don't want those aggressive ads. They just, they're not just that many uh, alternative uh, alternatives out there um, and then the advertisers they get very little value because they realize they can't annoy people into liking their brand or buying their product and obviously there's very little value for for users so this is kind of the situation where we're at and we think we can establish a much more sustainable approach um, in which fewer but better ads actually provide much more value for everybody. So so you would argue that you're actually sort of providing a service by introducing some scarcity into the market. I mean, I think we've all sort of witnessed it. I think publishers might disagree with, with that you know, assessment, though, right? Because they... I mean, even if the even if the ad scarcity issue is is a problem, I, I don't think that they would want a, a you know a third party sort of coming to the table to to regulate that, right? I mean, that I, I suppose I'm trying to get to the the point of you know why you guys. So the users install our product because they want a much better experience, and we know how to reach those users again. We can help publishers to monetize those users in a way that is acceptable to the, these people. So um, publishers are, of course, free to seek out any alternative that they see fit, but we are confident enough to say that our approach actually works because the users are on board. So th this is the most profitable approach for the publishers out there, and this is why we are so successful. 
So just to come back to sort of the consumer piece for a second, I'm curious, why do you think that people primarily would install an ad blocker such as your own? I mean, is it obviously some people just don't like advertising, you know, it gets in the way of content. Um, there are privacy concerns potentially with, you know, online advertising, advertising companies tracking people around the Internet. Um, and then there's also sort of a cost associated with this. Um, you know, you're paying to download ads. Um, so I'm just kind of curious. I mean, h how do you think that breaks down? Yeah, I think there's a huge variety of reasons why people install ad blockers. Um, many people are just simply annoyed and they just want a cleaner browsing experience. But then there are issues like malvertising, which um, has been growing a lot, um, especially throughout the last couple of months. Um, attacks on um, really reputable sites have become much more common due to programmatic advertising. So publishers have less and less control over the ads that run on their own site, which just opens up opportunities for, for attackers. So there, there are privacy concerns, there are security concerns, but there are also concerns about uh, page load time and bandwidth consumption. And um, I think for some it may be a combination of all those factors. Um, some users may have um, other preferences like privacy. Um, I think this is something that is in in many ways uh, underestimated as, as an issue because many people are just not aware of what's happening, how many scripts are running silently in the background on the site that are collecting data. And more and more people are becoming concerned about that. Yeah, and, I think and that's why, yeah. They're, it's they're, going mainstream. I mean, when, when my mom emails me to say, <laughs> which ad blocker should I download? You know, I know that it's reached some sort of mainstream or, you know, it was on South Park, right? They were making fun of online advertising. So it, it, it does feel like it's reached this sort of mainstream, but, you know, w where does it go from here? I mean, I, you guys announced that you have, what is it now, 100 million active devices That's right. use Adblock Plus. Um, where do you see it going from here? I mean, there are some, we've reported about, um, you know, some international telecom providers. I mean, Jackie can speak to that sort of more, but uh, using sort of... Um, you know, deciding to block ads on their uh, entire carrier. Like, where do you, where do you see this going from here? It's it's a good question because I think um, we have to be careful what ad blocking should stand for, and I think ad blocking should be about empowering the user so that every user can decide for themselves where do they draw the line, what kind of ads do they find acceptable, and. Once we start looking into ad blocking or seeing ad blocking into different areas like um, um, ad blocking on a carrier level um, where users don't have the full control and choice, where they can't configure their, their preferences, I think then it, it crosses the line. So I think uh, we have to be careful that that we don't create so much demand for ad blocking that it goes into areas where the the user is no longer in charge. So if a cell phone carrier blocked ads entirely, people wouldn't need Adblock Plus, right? I mean, cause you're saying that, that they would cede that sort of control that you guys offer to allow certain ads that they may want through? Yeah, I think this is, is really important that blocking ads by default may not be a great idea because it should be about the user deciding what kind of ads they find useful and which kind of ads they want to get blocked. So related to that, coming back to sort of this idea of an acceptable ad, um, I mean, to what extent are users deciding sort of which ads are acceptable and are allowed through and 
which aren't because, I mean, it's my understanding right now that it's kind of a checkbox. You can either sort of opt in to have those acceptable ads or not, but you don't really get a say. There's not a whole lot of control over what those ads are. Yeah, we're making this much more granular for, for the user, but also the most prominent feature within Adblock Plus is to disable it on a, on the site you're on. So once you click the icon, the first thing that pops up is, do you want to block ads on the site? So I think this is really what Adblock Plus stands for. It gives the user control which site um, has a good experience and which site doesn't. And I think this creates an incentive for, for publishers to focus on a much better user experience. So I want to talk a little bit about how Adblock Plus and, and you have become a little bit of a persona non grata in uh, in the publishing space. So yesterday you were uh, you were at an event and the CEO of the IAB, which is a trade organization that represents uh, some publishers in the advertising industry, he refused to shake your hand on stage. Um, you know, I think that, that they've they called you guys. Um, Having silly titles and funny walks, and uh, <laughs> I, th- I think they called you guys pissants. And uh, th- there have been harsher words that we can't say on this family podcast. But what what, what is your relationship like with uh, publishers and, and sort of the people that represent them, the trade organizations? And how do you guys feel about being labeled as the sort of uh, I don't know the the scourge of the industry? No, I I think. Um there are two different kinds of publishers. Once, um, the one group, they see potential and opportunity in, in change, and then there are others that really just want to maintain the status quo. And, of course, there are a lot of personal attacks now. Um, I, I think ad blocking Do you feel is, they are personal, personal attacks? Well, funny walks. Is, I guess funny walks. Is. And, and I know this is a podcast. It should be said that you walk completely normally into the into the so. <laughs> yeah no i think it's it just shows that the the current leadership at the iab they are the ones responsible for the fact that we right now we don't have a healthy sustainable advertising ecosystem it's their failure why why there is this huge disconnect between consumers and advertisers. And of course, more and more people realize that the IAB has completely failed in in their mission to create that ecosystem, which is why this is now getting really an emotional topic for, for the current IAB leadership, because I think we symbolize their own failures. Wow. All right. We'll be uh, back in a little bit with more. Qu- take a quick break. Uh, more with Till after this. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcast. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Uh, wanted to talk a little bit about your new program whereby publishers can be paid directly uh, by, by readers. So um, this would be a program, and, and correct me if I'm not describing this correctly, but this would be a program where readers say, okay, you know, I read New York Times, Wall Street Journal, whatever it is, and, and I block their ads, but I want to contribute something. I value this content immensely, and uh, I, I want to contribute to the health of these these publishers so I can opt to uh, give them a certain amount of money, and your algorithm would then place that based on the, ta- the engagement time 
that they spend with with those sites. Is that a correct uh, I don't know correct summary? Yeah, I think what's what's important here is that we provide more choice to users how they want to compensate content creators. And what has been missing on the web so far is a payment system that automatically works everywhere and that is really easy to use and completely frictionless for the user. And I think we are in the very unique position to establish something like that. And with our new service called Flatter Plus, we are building exactly that. As a user, you can decide yourself how much content on the web is worth to you, and then that service will automatically distribute your funds based on the engagement on the sites you have visited. What's the kind of um, response that you've gotten from publishers? Because if I'm a publisher, uh, these guys, I'm maybe I don't like Adblock Plus, probably don't. Um, they've been siphoning money off, in, you know, in my mind, if I'm a publisher, and and here they come and they say, you know, partner with us and your readers can give you revenue directly. If I decide not to get enrolled in the Flatter Plus program, maybe I lose out on some revenue. But if I do, I'm getting in bed with the Adblock guys who I, you know, don't like and I've been, you know, lambasting in the press for the past year. So what have, what has your conversation been like with, with publishers, uh, uh, you know, in this regard? No, I think publishers, to a large extent, don't like to be dependent on a business model that is not user-friendly. And this is exactly what Adblock Plus is all about. We have been proven that fewer but more high-quality ads actually work better. And we are now helping publishers to establish additional user-friendly monetization methods because right now we have advertising with its obvious problems and we have paywalls which only work for very few sites and the missing link here really is a very easy way for users to contribute directly to the content creators and and that's what we are building to what extent do you expect users to to do so because i mean obviously this is the type of product that you know, I think could be described as sort of a, an olive branch to the industry. Uh, but I'm just curious. I mean, most people that download an ad blocker are doing so because they want to block ads, yeah. right? I mean, so I'm just kind of curious. I mean, you know, you said you have 100 million active users. I mean, how many people do you really expect to, to sign up to contribute? And I guess the second half of that question is how much do you expect each one to pay? I mean, are we, are we talking a dollar a month here? Are we talking $20 a month or...? No, we we anticipate that by the end of next year we will have 10 million subscribers that will pay $5 a month um, on average. And that means we would be distributing over half a billion dollars to content creators per year. But what is really interesting is if you look at the economics, the value on a per-user basis from advertising for the publisher is really, really low. So by paying as little as what you pay for a cup of coffee each month, you already create the same kind of value for publishers, but you don't have to see those obnoxious ads. The cup of coffee analogy, I feel like a lot of uh, people in the industry use that analogy but those those cups of coffee add up right i mean people are asking you to you know you're paying for netflix you're paying for your cable package and now you know i'm going to start paying for sites that i never paid for in the past i mean I, do people view online content as something that they should pay for even if they're blocking the ads i think 
the reason why people currently aren't paying for content on the web is because there is no easy way to do so. You don't want to sign up on every website that you visit, and we're removing that friction for the user. And I think the other examples that you mentioned, Netflix and so on, they show people are willing to pay for content, but it has to be really easy for them to do so. So nobody wants to sign up. But it also up. has to be good content. I mean, I pay for Netflix be- or, you know, steal my parents' Netflix right, because of House of Cards or, you know, all this content that I want. Exactly. But I'm, I'm sure you would argue that uh, the Wall Street Journal also has great content. Definitely so, right. <laughs> yes. I can agree on that one. Yeah, we can agree. And uh, with that, we'll... <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, the good content is already out there. The only thing that is missing is a very easy way for users to pay for it because you don't want to subscribe to 20 different websites that you regularly visit. So we completely remove that friction for the user. You just sign up once and then you can basically forget about it, but you are contributing to the the content that you consume. So how serious are you guys about this program working for publishers? Because, I mean, I, I have heard it described by some publishers as... Um, you know, sort of just a, I, I don't know how to describe it, an olive branch or sort of um, just a way to sort of placate them. Um, so I'm just curious. I mean, is this something that you guys are really invested in? Is this like a long-term sustainable model that you're trying to create for publishers here? Or, you know, is it something just to sort of keep the the wolves at bay? Well, I, I mentioned our goal to distribute over half a billion dollars to content creators each year. I, I would call that very serious. What do you make of, of publishers' other strategies that they've employed to block the blockers? So, you know, things like asking people to turn, you know, to whitelist them. Uh, you know, on the, uh, people, you know, you go to Wired.com now and it says, uh, please turn off your ad blocker. The Guardian does it as well. Um, then there, you know, software to block the blockers and, and circumvent uh, your own Chrome extension, uh, lots of publishers taking lots of different strategies. Some sites say, you know, you can't come into our site at all entirely if you're using an ad blocker. What do you guys make of that? And are, are you sort of trying to um, update your Chrome browser to block the block blockers? Like, how, like, can this arms race keep going forever, or how does that work? I think dialogue about this is good. And I mentioned before that we intentionally make it very easy for users to disable Adblock Plus on a, on a site. Um, and I think the, the dialogue is a step in the right direction, but it doesn't go far enough. Because if you ask your users, please disable the ad blocker on my site, many people will do so. But then you also have to give them a better experience. Because if they disable the ad blocker and immediately regret it, then they just won't come back. So we are seeing this right now. If you look at the the public traffic data of of some of the websites that are employing um, methodologies like that, they are suffering because people are not coming back. So I think they also need to take the next step and then show just better and less intrusive ads to those people that have decided to disable the ad blocker. And this is what the our, our Acceptable Ads program really is all about, that by default we help publishers to show um, only ads that, to the users that have opted out of the traditional ads that they won't mind seeing because that, I think, is key. You can't just convince people to suffer through ads they clearly don't want. In, in my mind, one of the things that I guess I like about banner ads or I know about banner ads, I know what they are, right? It's advertising. It's on the side of the page. Okay, I know what that is. 
one of the things that has arisen in the last few years in the industry is you know, sp- sponsored content and uh, native advertising, which in a way s- services like Adblock potentially expedite that process, right? The, the idea that the advertising is going to be more ingrained in the content in various ways and maybe publishers would try to get around things like ad blocking by by giving rise to that. And and is that, in a way, is that worse? I mean, don't people want their want to know when it's advertising versus have it kind of ingrained in the content that they're reading and not necessarily know? Yeah, I think transparency really is key. And if you look at our acceptable ads criteria, one of the really the cornerstones of um, the program is transparency towards the user. So I think this is um, really important when it comes to native advertising that the user doesn't feel tricked because you can only trick them once or twice. Um, but a sustainable business model has to be based on transparency. But I think in general, it is important that we look for alternatives to the classic banner ad because people are not engaging with that anymore. And I think it's kind of shocking if you look at the lack of innovation that we've seen in in the industry in the last 15 years. We still have the same kind of banner ads that um, people just don't engage with. And if you just look at the statistics, it's just it's more likely to survive a plane crash than to click on a banner ad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not not sure about that one. Um, (laughs) Look it up. (laughs) Um, but that's um, that's kind of interesting because you say there hasn't been a lot of innovation in online advertising. There actually, I mean, there has from sort of a, a tracking and delivery standpoint. <laughs> right. what, all the things that you want to block, there hasn't that's been the innovation. There hasn't been user-friendly innovation, right. let so, me phrase it this way. So you're talking more about the formats themselves or sort of the, the user experience on, on the end of that? Yeah, I think the formats are just too disruptive and uh, we need formats that blend into the content. Now, of course, again, transparency is key, but you can't expect that people will like your brand or people will buy your product if you distract them from what they want to do on the site. It, yeah, if but if ad blocking is giving rise to, you know, the idea that advertising and content should be melded together more, is that is that more dangerous in the online advertising ecosystem than you know, a few ads that track your behavior across the web. I just, I, you know, I, I, I think that one of the big trends that is troubling for a lot of consumers is, what, I'm, am I reading advertising? Am I reading content? You know, where does that line begin and end? And something like ad blocking would only, I don't know, expedite or, or kind of hurry up that that trend. I, am I, am I, I think that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, to what extent do you think sort of guys like you offering the ability to block ads is driving, I, I guess, I think this is what you were getting at, like is driving publishers to... To do things even more uh, confusing for people. Well, I think that would be a very short-term re- focused response to that issue. And I think what ad blocking shows to publishers is you have to listen to their feedback. You have to give them um, a monetization method that they are happy to engage with. And tricking your users into doing something is not going to be um, a, a long-term business strategy that I, I would uh, think is going to be successful. I think it's going to be tough to convince people to pay for content that they're so used to reading for free. I don't know if people view... Even even if it's okay, you know, I'm going to pay five dollars a month, and I will 
that will pay for all of my news. And I'm, if that behavior has never happened before for people, maybe they pay for you know a certain magazine or you know a certain uh, newspaper, even uh, you know for, for even if they're they're used to paying for for that. Most of the stuff isn't news, just sort of a commodity or, or online content is sort of a commodity, and I can get it free everywhere. And you know, why would I, if I'm if I want to block ads, why would I pay? Yeah, I think the Flutter Plus program is about giving users more choice, but I don't think it's going to replace advertising completely. Which is why our goal is not to convert all our users to using this I'm completely aware that this will always be a minority that pays for content which is why we're so committed to making advertising work and that's why we have to have alternatives that work with the user that provide more value to both advertisers and, and publishers and that's why I think the combination of um, a very easy-to-use frictionless payment system and better, more high-quality ads, that's, I think, going to be the, the answer to how we monetize content on the web. How do you see, from a technology perspective, um, I guess ad blocking sort of evolving? Because, I mean, we saw a similar thing with pop-ups. Um, and eventually the browser manufacturers sort of baked in the ability to block pop-ups straight into the browser. I know some browsers are doing that. Um, you know, there are some browsers that are being launched sort of billed as ad-blocking browsers. Um, so I'm just curious kind of what that means for you guys long term, because if we get to the point where, you know, browsers or devices have, have this functionality baked in, I mean, that potentially sort of cuts you guys out of the equation, right? No, for us, I think this is... Uh a distribution channel uh, because we are mostly partnering with those browsers that are um, employing ad blockers into um, the the default feature set. So um, for us, this makes makes it easier, especially on new platforms like mobile, to get traction if we are integrated by default. Okay. Um, yeah. La- last last question from from me would be. What is it going to take for you guys? I mean, is this part of your strategy to get publishers to the negotiating table? Um, you know, we talked about the war of words, I suppose, between you guys and you know people like the IAB. How is it a goal? Are you guys just going to keep chugging along, doing your thing, and and hopefully publishers will come along eventually? Or you know, are you really are you trying to get publishers to the negotiating table to to agree um, that you guys are kind of here, you're here to stay, and that they should embrace? working with you and figuring that out. Yeah, I I think people now realize ad blocking is part of the web and we have to figure out how do we deal with the challenge that on this medium the user is in control. And many publishers are embracing that change and they see the opportunity. If you look at the top 100 websites in the U.S., 40 of them now have acceptable ads on their site. So the rhetoric, especially from the IAB, is, is very hostile, but the realities are different because people do see the potential in monetizing in a user-friendly way. Well, great. Well, really appreciate you coming all the way from Germany, right? Just specifically for this podcast. You had nothing <laughs> else to do in New York. So we really appreciate that, that you've gone above and beyond, uh, you know, as our second guest here. Yeah, thanks so much, Till. Thanks all for right. having me. And uh, from uh, New York, I'm Stephen Perlberg with Jack Marshall. It's the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Thanks so much for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.